Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're back in the book of Job. We're going to be looking at chapters 9 and 10. Job is really depressed here. Um, His first friend, Eliphaz, and and then Bildad has been talking to him. And again, they're talking platitudes. They're not substance. Everything they sound sounds great. Eliphaz talks about his vision and Bildad's talking about sort of appealing to the wisdom of the forefathers. Um, But everybody's coming to the conclusion that God is just and Job must be getting what he deserves. And Job's heart must be wrong because he's not, he's suffering, but he's not repenting like he should. Because there must be some wickedness that's unresolved. And Job is replying like, look, you know, you guys are like a mirage. You, th- I think, I thought you were my friends, but you're not here to support me at all. And um, basically, they're just kicking him when he's down. And, you know, when you kick somebody when, when they're down, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel superior look down on somebody who's tried and failed and it makes you feel you're judging them you know and this sort of brings up something that I've been thinking about for a long time is that you know you know this you know humanity loves to judge one another Uh, we're always judging one another you know who writes good music who's a good athlete who's a good role model what's the politics about People you disagree with, you tend to judge. Maybe people who look different. Maybe people who did dress different or talk different. You know, people judge. And then we'll say, well, it's not right to judge. But people judge. People have to make judgments all the time. What's right and wrong? And how do you correct and raise your children? And then your children are judging the parents. Like, oh, you're too mean, mommy or daddy. I mean, we judge everything. But we hate being judged, don't we? Who does he think he is? Who does she think she is saying I'm that way or trying to judge me? People despise being judged. And if you're judged falsely, 
oh, you're despised even more. Now, people, I suppose, don't mind being judged correctly or favorably. There's nothing better than getting a good evaluation, and you'll take it. But that whole evaluative process of being judged, I think people don't like. And a lot of people, you know, are almost captive to what other people think about them. It's a terrible thing. What is somebody else going to think if I wear this to church or wear this to work? Or what does the other person think about my importance, how important I am? And, of course, we're never as important in the eyes of others as we are or as we should be, you know, as we think through it ourselves. And other people want to be important in our eyes, and we don't make them important. So everybody's misjudging. Everybody wants to judge, but at the same time, nobody wants to be judged. Such is human nature. And Job flat on his back is getting the full thing, getting the full judgment of his three friends. At the same time, you know, he's judging them right back. They're telling him, hey, you know what? You've got unresolved wickedness. And at the same time, he's telling them, you guys are worthless to me as friends. And uh, Job is saying, look, you know, I'm obviously being judged wrongly. Or even if I'm judged rightly, my life is over. And if I'm judged wrongly, my life is over. You know, if I'm looking at it as a judgment. And of course, the friends are judging God too because they're saying God is doing this because, you know, you have sinned. So they're sort of taking God's judgment and trying to interpret God's wisdom and judgment to Job. And Job's trying to rebut this. But they're all acknowledging that it's they can't. But it's as we learn in the beginning, God says, you know, Job didn't deserve any of this. So again, nobody knows what God's real purpose is for all of this at the same time. So it's a lot going on. It's a really deep scenario that Job finds himself in. And so it makes to me thinking of it like this way makes Job a real relevant book for us today. You know, it's a book of judgment. It's a book of how it feels to be judged, what it's like to judge somebody else. And how do you reconcile this judgment? And Job starts off saying, look, there's no arbiter. I need an arbiter. I need somebody to speak up for me. Nobody's speaking up for me. Nobody, and I need somebody to know me, my situation, you know, and speak for me. What he's really calling for is Christ. This is, uh, this is um, a picture of the human heart without Christ. Truly, 
This is verse 2. I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, he couldn't answer him once in a thousand times. Okay, I have no right to talk to God about this. He's wise in the heart and mighty in strength. Who's Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? In other words, I mean, if you try to harden your heart against God or get mad at God, you can't win. He who removes mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone <coughs> stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He's talking about how great God is, how low he is and how he feels. He's not even worthy to talk to God. His, he moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? Nobody can say that to God. God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How can I answer him? Choosing my words with him. Though I'm in the right, I can't answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. Verse 16. If I summoned him and he answered me, I wouldn't not believe he was listening to my voice. Even if he did answer me, I couldn't even understand. I wouldn't even believe he would hear me. Verse 17, for he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but he fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he's mighty. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I'm in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I'm blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. We'll drop down to verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hands on us both. Wow. He is putting it out there that he's in a corner and he loses either way. He needs an arbiter. He needs a man as he is to understand his condition. God can't understand what, how bad it is for him. This is the human heart crying out for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the man. As McGee said, Job could identify with, with God in his greatness. But he didn't have Christ in his humanness to relate to. And that's what we need. God became a man in Jesus Christ to be that arbiter. To resolve this. So now we come to verse to chapter 10. And Job now takes up his plea. 
he's not really directing it as a reply to, to Bildad. He is now pleading straight to God. Verse chapter um, 10, verse 1, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Is this what you want, God? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as a man sees? Of course, he does in Jesus Christ. That you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin, although you know that I am not guilty and there is none to deliver out of your hand. Now, he might be saying, I'm not guilty of the things that Eliphaz and Bildad are accusing me of. That may be that. You know, I don't think Job is saying he's completely blameless as a person, but I think he's saying the guilt that they are accusing him of, he just doesn't have. His soul, his conscience is clear. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. That's verse 8. Now, dropping down to verse 15. If I'm guilty, woe to me. But if I'm right, I can't lift up my head. Job feels he just can't win. He loses either way. Verse 18. Why did you bring me out from the womb that I had died before any eye had seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. What he's saying is, again, he's sort of back to, he wishes he hadn't been born. Maybe he could have been stillborn, and at least he would be at peace. This is where Job's heart is right now. He's been falsely judged, he feels. He doesn't have an arbiter, he feels. And he's going to lose either way. If he's right, He's too weak to live on. And if he's guilty, he deserves whatever he gets. Woe to him. So this is where we stop. A tragic situation of the human heart. And don't we all feel so incomplete without Christ? Without Christ, we don't have an arbiter. Without Christ, we have no one with compassion. But we, in Christ, have compassion. Someone who feels it and sees us. Someone who is our arbiter. We're going to stop here. We'll turn the rest of the podcast over to our co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, hope you're doing great. Look forward to your study today. And as always, from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your hearts centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield. And we'll see you next time tomorrow as we continue our study through the book of Job. And as I, as we're coming up next, we're going to be seeing one of the worst friends of all, Zophar, telling Job he deserves even worse. And as always, our prayers go up for sweet Emma and sweet Jean. Hello.
So today's teaching is coming from Job chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, all the way through to chapter 10, verses 1 through to verse 22. So in the study today, we have the answer of Job to Bildad, and Bildad, as we saw, had not met the problem of Job through, you know, his interaction. So in this section, we will hear Job's heart cry for Christ. So Job needs a mediator. And, you know, um, the, the lecture or, you know, the talk that Bildad gave Job was not, um, did not meet Job's problem, did not sort, sort out Job's problem. So, verse 1 of chapter 9 reads, Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? So, Job is saying to Bildad that a lot of the things he's saying are actually true, but he didn't, he actually hadn't spoken into Job's problem, but he was actually speaking the truth. Um, so it hadn't actually spoken into Job's pro- Job's problem here, and he hadn't met Job's need. So how was Job to be just with God? So Job wanted some questions answered, and Bildad didn't have the answers um, to any of the questions uh, for Job at all. Verse 3 goes on to read, If one wishes to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand verse four god is wise in heart and mighty in strength who has hardened himself against him and prospered so job is saying he's not actually pretending if they actually think he's trying to put up you know this front before god so they were wrong because he knows that he can't contend with god and god can ask him a question that he could actually never be able to answer if he actually chose to contend with God. So God can see so many things that are wrong with him. But Job wants to actually answers to his questions. Verse 5 goes on to read, He removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise and it doesn't rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So this is actually a beautiful picture, a beautiful depiction of God as creator. So God knew, so Job brother, Job knew um, his creator. So um, that's God. So, but Job, Job didn't know anything about his tender mercy at this particular time. He just knew God as the creator, mighty, and, you know, he depicted this beautiful picture of who God is. Verse 9 goes on to read, He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without numbers. So yes, wonders without number. So Job did 
he did know something about the stars and he recognized that God was the creator of the stars. Um, you know, he did not come out with like, you know, what some would believe today. Oh, hey, I am wishing upon the star or, um, you know, they study the oscillations and all. Um, Job knew who his creator was and did not have the beliefs in the stars, despite him knowing about the stars. Verse 11 goes on to read, If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. Verse 12, If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, What are you doing? So the whole point is that God is a spirit. And Job recognizes that. And, you know, that you can't actually see God. So Job had learned a great lesson and he knew something about God as creator. And that's about all that Job knew about God. Him, he's a great, mighty creator. Verse 13 goes on to read, God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. Verse 14, and how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? So um, Job says he wouldn't actually stand a chance coming in God's presence. So he wouldn't know what to actually say. Verse 15 goes on to read, For though I was righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. Verse 16, If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. So Job, Job says he wouldn't actually know what to actually say if God spoke to him. Like directly, he wouldn't actually know because he felt unworthy. Verse 17 goes on to read, For he crushes me with his tempest and multitudes, sorry, and multiplies my wounds without cause. Um, he will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. Verse 19 goes on to read, if it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And if of justice, who will appoint my day in court? So he's saying that here that how will he actually plead his case before God? Because God is righteous and God is just. So how is he going to plead his case before God? Verse 20 goes on to read, Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse so job says if he tries to pretend he's perfect his mouth will actually condemn him so and we will actually find out later on that job had you know a high estimation of himself so he's not the man who said um i know that within me that's within my flesh dwells no good thing so he's not saying that he's perfect but his contending that he is a good man and you know a righteous man but he's saying if he came before God he wouldn't actually be able to defend himself so this is the position of a lot of folk today who don't actually know the word of God at all 
so they feel like they can actually stand before God and they will be able to meet his standard and are well-pleasing to him. Because they just feel like, oh, because I do good, I'm nice to my neighbors, I'm, you know, I volunteer in a lot of things and they feel that way, that they are actually a good person, they can stand before God. Like these are people who are far removed from God or reality. Okay, let's go down to verse 32 and verse 32 reads, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court. So Job had already said, If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. In other words, if he wants in if he went in God's presence, God will actually think of something he is not thinking of and he won't be able to answer him. Now, if God was a man, he would actually be able to talk to him and that's the reason God became a man so that we could actually talk to him so we can actually understand God and communicate to us and show us that we don't meet his standard. Hi, sorry, I'm going to continue from where I actually left off from. So, you know, God became man here on earth so that he can actually understand, so that we can actually understand God and communicate to him and show us that we don't actually meet his standard. So the only man who met God's standard was Jesus Christ. So, uh, we actually need a savior. Not we actually, we need a savior. And by his death, he saves us. So Job is saying he wouldn't stand a chance because he doesn't meet God's standards. Despite him, you know, being a good man and thinking he's perfect, but he doesn't stand a chance. So he's God and Job is man. Okay, verse 33 goes on to read, Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. So there is no mediator between them. So somebody who may lay his hand upon them both. So Job says if there was only someone that could take his hand and put it in the hand of God, and if one could actually do so, then Job would actually have a mediator. So putting the hand in the hand of the one who saves us, that's Jesus Christ, our mediator. And he's putting the hand in the hand of the one who saves us, he, in the hand of God, because he is God himself. So Paul said to Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the God-man. So now we get to chapter 10, and chapter 10 verse 1 reads, My soul loathes my life, I will give free course to my complaint. I will seek in the bitterness of my soul. So Job says, in the meantime, since he doesn't have a mediator, is there no man to actually represent him before God? He says he's just right there in this life. He's weary of his life and he speaks in the bitterness of his soul. Verse 2 goes on to read, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. So God will answer him on this. And God will show him, you know, why he contended with him. 
verse 3 goes on to read, Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? So Job is saying that he doesn't actually understand why he has to suffer. So, and, you know, they are wicked men who are not suffering. And this actually is the problem that confronted David as well. And even in our lives today, you get to see, you know, the wicked get away with so many things and a lot of good people tend to suffer. So this book faces up to life. So he actually begins to be, um, you know, to be vile, his condition. And it looks like he's been neglected by God. Verse 4 goes on to read, Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as man sees? So his whole point is he believes God just doesn't see him and his real condition. So this is the reason God became a man. So we could, so we would actually know there is a man in the glory. In the, there is a man in the glory and that, that actually knows us. He knows how we feel. He's been through each and every situation down here on earth. Verse 5 goes on to read. Are your days like the days of the mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man? Verse 6, that you should seek for my iniquity. So Job is beginning now to actually defend himself and he's not willing to admit that there is a great sin in his life. But not something we would actually classify as a great sin in our lives. Not something we would label as a great sin. In verse 7, it goes on to read, Although you know that I am not wicked, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. So Job says he is in an awkward situation. God knows that he's not wicked, and Job can't get out of his hand. Is going through all this and why should he go through all this so job needed a little humility and god will actually give him some so humbleness and patience is something god just doesn't hand out on a silver platter and that's what job needed humbleness and patience so one doesn't become humble just like that it's a fruit of the spirit but the only way is by experiencing this life that we can become patient and humble and God will do these things for Job okay so we'll drop down to verse 19 verse 19 reads I would have been as though I had not been I would have been carried from the womb to the grave so he's actually back at it saying he shouldn't have been born to him death is actually something that should be desired. So death would put him out of his misery and it would put him out of this thing. But one thing to note is wishing that you were dead or not born won't actually help at all as um, one would actually never die by just wishing that. So there is a breaking down of Job's dignity and 
um, Job wished he was actually dead, but he didn't really mean it. And you know, there comes a point in everyone's life where you actually, things are not working out. 